Hey there, and welcome back to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. The OTPF states that clients may require access to and the ability to use technology such as cell or smartphones, computers or tablets, and video game consoles to carry out their daily routines and occupations. At the OT Schoolhouse, we totally understand that, and that's why we're diving deep into the use of online media, both social media as well as other types of media, in order to help school-based OTs help their clients and further their education and professional development. So today is actually going to be the first professional development opportunity through the podcast that we've offered in a while, and you can find that at otschoolhouse.com forward slash PD as in professional development, and the objectives for today are for you and everyone out there to understand current trends related to online use among school-based OTs, be able to identify locations on the web to find support and guidance, and be able to understand the importance of being self-aware when consuming or producing online media. We just actually presented this at a recent conference here in California, and we're excited to be able to share this all with you. So right after the break, we're going to get into this, and you're going to hear all the amazing content we have for you. So stick around. Abby and I will be right back. Hello and welcome to the OT Schoolhouse podcast, your source for the latest school-based occupational therapy tips, interviews, and research. Now, to get the conversation started, here are your hosts, Jason and Abby. Class is officially in session. Hey there, welcome to episode number 17 of the OT Schoolhouse podcast. You know, it's been a while, but... Abby and I are on the podcast for the entire show today. There's no guest. It's just her and I. So, Abby, how's it going? It's going great. This is like a throwback. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's been a while. It's been, I don't know. I don't even remember the last episode where it's just you and I. No, it's been a long time. We got to do this more often, Jason. Yeah. I mean, I know we have a <laughs> bunch of guests lined up for the for the upcoming shows, but uh, yeah, we really need to do this a little more often. So, uh, maybe we can. We'll see what happens. And uh, yeah, so do you have anything that uh, you want to share before we get on our way? Um, no, just we finished up with uh, the Occupational Therapy Conference for the State of California Occ- Occupational Therapy Association. Of California. Said, of California. <laughs> yes, of California. Thanks for adding that. <laughs> so many letters in the title. Okay, so we just finished up that. And then um, I'm doing an in-service on sensory with the teachers at one of my school sites to kind of build capacity with one of my coworkers. And we're getting ready to do that. I think it's going to be pretty interesting. I'm hoping to use it and share it with you guys, you know, so that you have information on how to provide an in-service. If that's something that you want to do for your school sites or if you have already, um, maybe I can give you some tips on how to do it better or maybe you can give me some tips maybe my in-service isn't going to be that great and i need (laughs) who knows are you doing that with another ot or a different professional no another ot um we're talking a lot about how to help students that are dysregulated becoming dysregulated or have um or preventing dysregulation so i kind of think we give the strategies a lot and we discuss sensory strategies and um the teacher's all tend to really know all the strategies, all the tools. They will come to me and say, hey, I think so-and-so needs this. And I'll go and look and maybe they do, maybe they don't. But I think it's almost the implementation of those strategies and using them in an effective way. Um, And then also just noting that like some strategies, you know, uh, you can use would be like 
behavior modification type things too. They kind of all go together. So it's kind of one of those trainings. It's not a, is it sensory or behavior? It's actually, you can't really separate the two. That's kind of our approach to this. Yeah, that's cool. Because yeah. I was actually just talking to a speech therapist and her and I, and actually we're going to see if the psychologist would like to get in on it too, but we want to do a training for both the teachers as well as the aides. Because uh, a lot of times, you know, we teach the teachers, but then it's the aides and especially those Montsevere classes that are working with the kids so much. And so... Aides are going to be at our training too. Perfect. That's that. awesome. Are you guys doing it after school, before school, during school? After school on one of the short days. Oh, very yeah. cool. A professional professional development day or whatever the school has yep. set up. Professional. Yeah. And then we're also doing a fine motor one where we're running centers, but they're all fine motor based centers. So we're awesome. going to do that kind of thing too. It's really exciting. I'm super yeah. excited. I look forward to hearing more about that once you're once you got it done and taken care of. Is that when are you doing that? Um the in service will be next Tuesday. So oh, wow. we're up. finishing up our uh well finishing it up slash starting it because we're both <laughs> procrastinators <laughs> um this week, uh tomorrow and Thursday, and then we'll be presenting next week. So it's kinda cool though. I'm really excited about it because we're trying to touch on everything and kind of explain it in a more functional way so that teachers can use it versus, I don't know, I think sometimes it can get a little dicey. You're like, oh, they need proprioception for input, but a teacher doesn't understand. Or like maybe they don't have the theory in the background of recognizing that. So we want to give them those tools. Yeah, definitely. Well, like Abby said, um, we also attended the Occupational Therapy Association of California Conference, OTAC Conference, this past weekend. And you know, <laughs> Thank you, Abby. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, Abby and I, we actually presented, and that's what we are going to talk about today, is actually we're going to present not the entire slideshow slash presentation that, that we presented at OTAC, but a good portion of it for you all to hear. And that's actually about how OTs uh, how school-based OT specifically, but this kind of equates to all OTs, utilize online media, and also a little bit how how social media affects not only us, but our students, and how we can kind of act upon online media. So we're going to talk about that. But first, I just want to give a big thank you to anyone out there that was at OTAC and said hello, um, or all the presenters out there that were at OTAC. There's a lot of good school-based content this this year. Um, we mm -hmm. had OTs, actually. One was from, oh, man, I think it was Ohio that came out to talk to us. And we had the uh, one of the OT directors from Los Angeles Unified School District that talked a little bit. We had the Pasadena Unified School District special ed director who was actually an occupational therapist and went back to get her psychology credential and is now the SPED director. And that was super inspiring to see an OT in such a high level position. So uh, a big shout out to all those people that made OTAC great, as well as uh, the staff up at OTAC, which is awesome. So um, before we get into it, Abby's got her finger waving at me like she's got something to say. <laughs> well, I just wanted to bring up that we had the really cool opportunity to meet up with um, well, kind of a meetup situation with Alexis, who organized it at Rubio's. And it was with you and I and Sarah and Jenna. Mm -hmm. um, and it was all of us OTs kind of discussing how OT is doing online and 
what are all of our projects and how we're advocating for the profession and sort of what what these little projects are and they're all doing some really cool things. Yeah, definitely a big shout out to uh, Sarah. Actually, she's actually doing a podcast kind of like you're listening to right now. And her podcast is OT for life, L Y F E. And it actually just released last week by the time you're listening to this podcast. So um, big shout out to her. She's an early intervention OT and uh, she's, her podcast is not just about EI early intervention. She just has this huge mission for sharing OT like in all capacities to all people. And so uh, be sure to subscribe to the OT for Life podcast as well as ours. Um, yes. What was Jana? Jana, Jana. she, Jana, um, she, she was, works as a professor. But she was and, a dementia specialist, right? Yes. And she consults with nursing homes. I remember her telling me about that part of her position as well. She kind of does multiple things. She has her hand in lots of different practice areas um, in occupational therapy, very diverse background. And that was kind of cool to see or hear about. Yeah. And then you have Alexis who is kind of doing a little bit of everything. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> she's all over the place. She has a kind of a Facebook live that she calls OT scope or the podcast project. Uh, that's kind of one of the areas she's in, but she's really dabbing in a little bit of everything. She's on social media at eight Alexis Joel, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes at otschoolhouse.com forward slash episode 17. Um, but yeah, it was just really cool meeting up with these group of OTs that are doing so much in the profession. Yeah. I mean, we're all kind of, you know, quote unquote, younger OTs and we're, um, we're able to access the internet. We have websites and we're just trying to get mm-hmm. OT out there. Um, not only to right. other OTs, but to, to parents, to, um, mm-hmm. caregivers, to people working with dementia, um, educators, everything, you know, we're all OTs just in a different area. And so we can have a different influence. So that's yeah, right. super cool. And it's something that's like an extremely needed area in our profession. OT, we're not great at advocating for our profession all the time, particularly online. It seems like nobody really understands occupational therapy. So I think the more voices in social media and uh, that are doing podcasts or having platforms on Instagram or Facebook, I think the better. Because if we advocate for our profession, then we legitimize our profession too. So it's kind of owning that what we do is pretty stinking awesome. I mean, for lack of a better way of putting it. <laughs> no, absolutely right. And you know what? We're definitely going to have to have a podcast about advocacy because um, so. especially at OTAC this year, the two key themes that I took away from OTAC were one, building capacity within occupational therapists. And the other, which was huge, was um, uh, becoming a go-to OT. And that's frontline by uh, Sabrina McCarley out here. And she wants you know us to stand up not only in our own jobs, you know, advocating for caseloads and workloads and all that good stuff, but also talking to legislators out there and letting them know what our concerns are and how we can better help our population. So, uh, yeah, two big, big key terms this year were, uh, were advocacy and building capacity. So, yeah. All right. Well, I think that was a long enough introduction. (laughs) (laughs) catch up on it we did we did and you know what that's we did miss last week's podcast episode because of otac actually we're just so busy with that but we're happy to be back and actually we're going to share with you exactly what we were doing what we were doing at otac last week so 
Um, sorry for the one week delay, but we're getting this out there to you now. And uh, we're going to jump into our presentation on online media and how it can affect school-based OTs, how it can affect students, and how we can have, have an effect on social media and online media. So I guess we should jump into it then. Yeah, let's get to it. All right. Well, before I forget, I do want to let you all know that since we have this PowerPoint, because we presented it at OTAC, we're actually going to put this PowerPoint up again on the show notes at otschoolhouse.com forward slash episode 17. So you'll have access to these show notes um, or this PowerPoint. So if you want to take notes or if you're that type of person, go ahead. But if you're driving and you don't want to take notes, feel free to access the uh, the podcast over at, or not the podcast, the show notes for the podcast at otschoolhouse.com forward slash episode 17. So like I kind of mentioned earlier, this presentation was all about online media and how OTs can utilize online media. And I specifically say online media because it's not just social media. We also took into account, you know, the the ability to access AJOT online, the ability to listen to podcasts, the ability to access uh, blogs online, the ability to access any journal online for that matter, you know. Of course, you know, putting this presentation together, we did a little background and we were really surprised to actually to find out that the terminology podcast, while the terminology of podcast may be new, the idea of streaming audio, of course, has been a long or has been around for a long time. Of course, there is radios. Right. But originally, um, podcasts kind of started back in 1985 before any social media, of course, and, and or any blogs came out. And then, you know, in 2003, we started to see LinkedIn and WordPress. Um, and then podcasts began to get a little bit bigger in 2004. Facebook came around in 2004, YouTube in 2005. Um, and now, you know, we have Pinterest and Instagram in 2010. And there's so many more out there. But as you know, these are kind of like the big ones, Twitter in 2006. And so it's really cool that we have access to all these. But it's also a little bit scary because um, our information is out there. And, mm-hmm. um, you know what, maybe we'll still do our little exercise that we did for this presentation and, and, <laughs> and at the end, we'll, we'll ask you all to do something for us at the end of the end of the show. Um, but yeah, we just kind of want to get out there, you know, that people are using social media, people are using it not only for, for using their personal lives, but professional lives out there too. I'm sure you are. Um, so many of you follow us on the blog or, or you know, you follow our podcast or you follow um, OT Schoolhouse, um, the Facebook page. And, you know, these are all areas where you're able to learn new stuff, just like we follow other blogs and stuff. So actually, yes, yeah, social media has taken on um, kind of a life of its own. And the term occupation, as defined by the occupational therapy practice framework, refers to the daily life activities in which people engage. And I think a lot of us engage repetitively, almost compulsively in uh, social media, in online media in general. Um, And that comes a lot from just having it right in the palm of our hand. I think with the fact that we have our mobile devices are pretty much tiny computers that are handheld and allow us to access information. And social media, nearly regularly, that it has become a daily occupation uh, that could be defined as a daily occupation. Um, I think it's a little bit leisure um, I think a lot of us use it also as part of our work occupations, even. Um, sometimes it's play. Sometimes I'm looking at stupid videos of cats and dogs. <laughs> um, That's definitely sometimes. leisure. 
right? And sometimes it's leisure, um, just in that I'm connecting socially and making plans with friends. You know, I get invites to Facebook group activities, or somebody sets up a page like, come paint with me. Um, one of my friends does that where she hosts paint nights at her house. And so she'll set up a page for that. So that's kind of a leisure occupation. So if you think about clients that we have or students that we have that are in high school, elementary school, they're accessing their Facebook and a lot of them are using it to find these leisure activities or to, like I said, look at dumb videos or post dumb <laughs> videos. Um, and two, I think it's interesting to know an interesting statistic by the Pew Research Center um, that 51% of Facebook users report accessing Facebook multiple times a day, just like what I was indicating. So um, I'm not sure how many times you access it, Jason, but I'm too on many. there too many times. Like I've even put my uh, settings on my phone in black and white just so that I stop looking at it as often. Yeah, I, I, I turned off. I turned off all my notifications so I don't get notif notifications from Facebook or emails and stuff right. like that to try to help out. But even then. I'm not going to lie. I still find myself, you know, just looking at my phone as I'm walking from one classroom to another. I know I shouldn't be, but every now and then, you know, it's kind of that Facebook addiction thing that's out there right now. And, you know, I'm, oh, I'm yeah. kind of there. But um, or even just etiquette in IEP meetings. Like I noticed a lot of people just have their phones right on the table. I make a conscious decision to either leave my phone in my office or tuck it into my um your bag. bag and like the very bottom so that I'm not tempted to pick it up because mm -hmm. I have found myself just compulsively picking it up in meetings. Um, and that is not good etiquette. No, no, definitely not. But you know, it's, <laughs> it's not good etiquette, but it's definitely less taboo than it used to be. Like people mm -hmm. understand, you know, no one's, no one like makes a big thing of it when someone's phone rings in the middle of a meeting anymore. It's just True. like, oh, that person's phone ringing. Let's keep talking. We know that person's going to put it on silent in half a second. Um, and same thing, you know, parents and um, other people, you know, they're busy. We understand that you can send a quick text message. Then again, you shouldn't be on your phone the entire meeting or anything. But no. it's kind of like we understand as professionals that people are busy, that this isn't the only thing going on in the world. And, you know, 99% of the time, that people are using their phone now is it is business. So, right. But yes, however, you need to be, would you, would you venture to say though, however, that if that's the case, then you're not present for the concerns of the IEP meeting, because I think for me, it's like a state of mind. Like I want to be present to address what is happening in that room. You know, we all, we all have busy schedules and we mm -hmm. all have to be there during that time, including the parent. So I'm kind of while I appreciate the understanding, I just know that like staying present during those meetings mentally is important, although I'm not good at it all the time. Yeah, I'm thinking of like the moments where, you know, a kid or a parent brings up a concern and really quickly I can find an app that will help that kid. Um, like that's kind of the things that I'll often be looking up, either whether I'm on my computer, my tablet or my phone. If I know yeah. this student has access to an iPad and they're bringing up a concern I'm going to real quick grab my phone, do a quick search for speech to text and see what apps are out there that this kid can use. I mean, that's how I found an app called Speechify where I can take a picture of any text it'll, and then it'll read that text to the yeah. kid. And I that's would never cool. have found that. I mean, maybe I would have taken a note on that, gone back to my office the next day, looked it up. But so it's kind of yeah. a, you know, we're, if you're using it for work, it's a little more appropriate. It obviously looks more appropriate if you're doing it on your computer rather than your smartphone. 
Um, right. So, you know, try and if you're going to be on technology, definitely I would suggest it being either a tablet or that you're taking notes on or a computer yeah. you're taking notes on. Um, but sometimes you do need to use that phone to kind of look up something. But Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just a double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah. That was a huge tangent, but I'm glad we did that because that is something that us school-based therapists do kind of um, run into, you know, it's IEPs are three hours long sometimes, man. And it gets hard to stay focused for three hours. <laughs> Our kids know that. Um, before we move on, I do want to mention that we're kind of going on this is that there's not a lot of um, stuff out there about social media and online media from our organizations, the World Federation of OT, WFOT, they actually do have a social media guideline uh, document on their website. But AOTA, um, California, OTAC, uh, even NBCOT has very, very little, if any, information about how to use um, how to use social media or how we should not use social media or that much. So it's just something to point wow. out. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to get it together. Yeah, right. Um, surprisingly, although there's not much on the website, the OTPF does actually pretty extensively talk about the use of computers, not necessarily social media too much, but the use of computers, tablets, and video game consoles and phones because they understand that, you know what, that is an occupation. And... Um, I honestly, some people might have a big issue with me saying this, but I could easily go into a high school today and justify making a, a goal for a kid to access Facebook because mm -hmm. that is a meaningful occupation for all teenagers. Um, oh, absolutely. And so Probably it, even more so like Snapchat and Instagram. <laughs> well, yeah. Right. And so yeah. I could easily see a, pa a parent saying, hey, my kid's not able to access leisure and play. They're not able to socialize. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, how big is texting and being able to access all those social media sites? Uh, okay. You know, I'm not going to go in and like completely just offer this to every kid on an IEP. No, but right, right. <laughs> <laughs> calm down everyone. <laughs> but I could see someone saying they can't access their education because they can't um, access social media and have those interactions, those typical interactions with their peers. Mm -hmm. So, all right. True. There's That's one true. more quote um, that I wanted to, or at least a resource. This is actually from the journal of further and higher education and mm -hmm. it states that uh, Twitter has the potential to become a credible platform for continuing professional development or CPD, not only for clinicians' professional development, but also for the advancement of profession itself. And, well, I know Abby is huge on advancement of profession. So um, how do you use how do you use uh, social media, online media to advance our profession of OT? Well, I mean, I think you and I can both definitely vouch for this. Just, I think sharing treatment ideas, you're sharing, um, articles that you're finding, you're sharing, uh, your own. I mean, I guess that's a really broad way of putting it, but, um, I would say the other way is when you're looking at professional development, I mean, look at the Facebook groups we're both involved in. You get on there and everybody's sharing ideas. And a lot of times you'll get backup from research articles in those groups, like somebody will say, Oh, I do this, this, and this, and here's a study. And so those things are pretty cool. Um, in that respect, 
Um, Twitter, I didn't realize I even had a Twitter account still until I, you know, like we were talking about, we're going to do an experiment later. So we'll go into that, everybody. But I think um, one of the things, you know, I could see it being a good continuing professional development. I mean, look at the podcast. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a prime example where we're taking an audio platform and giving education. And there's no real reason why this isn't continuing education. We're using research, we're discussing research, and we're promoting um, educational values of our profession. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No doubt about so, that. I would say that's accurate. Yeah. And so what really led to us completing this this presentation that we did for OTAC was actually that we were almost doing research for the OT schoolhouse. We wanted to know what people were looking at, specifically what school-based OTs were really looking at when it comes to online media, social media. Were they using social media to access professional development? Were they looking up research articles through Facebook groups, Facebook pages, podcasts, Instagram, Pinterest? And so we actually did a um, little survey to find out. And I'm sure some of you listening now actually participated in the survey. And thank you so much if that was you. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if it wasn't you, we thank you for listening right now because um, this shows that you're actually interested in knowing the results of that survey. And so appreciate you uh, having a listen. Oh, for sure. Which also brings up another point because you just shared another research um, survey on Facebook from not by us, but somebody else. But that's another way people are utilizing social media for the profession is not Mm -hmm. just to advocate ideas, but to actually do studies of what we're all doing. And it is such a quick, easy with things like SurveyMonkey and like all these different things. It's really easy to get a quick participants. survey. And, yeah, participants and like a larger sample and a wider ranging sample. So, I mean, this is a great opportunity for OT. Yeah, and, and what she's yeah the <laughs> the link that you're talking about is actually a, I believe it's Stanbridge. It's a it's one of my fellow thesis advisors from Stanbridge University down here in Southern California, and she's actually looking at uh, some of the difficulties that new pediatric therapists have. Um, you know, I don't want to lead people into responses, but um, if you do visit, <laughs> if you do visit our Facebook page, the link is there as well as the notes. It'll only be up until. Um, the early part of November 2018. But um, yeah, it is about pediatric therapists that are within the first uh, three years of their practice. And so if you're interested, we definitely invite you to have a look at at that. So, um, but getting back to our actual little survey that we did, um, again, this wasn't an IRB approved survey or anything. This is just a a survey that we did and it started out as kind of like a market research for the OT schoolhouse. Uh, but we got back information that we thought other OTs might want to know about and it kind of helped us out and we think it might be able to help you out. So, uh, through this survey, you know, we reached out to OTs, um, in all different realms of social media or online media. We sent it out to our email list. We sent it out on Facebook. We sent it out on Reddit, um, a few other places. And we had, of the 241 respondents, we had 77% um, occupational therapists fill it, out, fill it out. Almost 14% occupational therapy assistants filled this out. Um, and 8.8% of the, the participants that filled this out were students. Um, there's a small handful of other professionals that also did. But um, 
of those people that did fill it out, 42% of them were school-based therapists, 10% worked in another pediatric setting, and um, another 10% about worked in the acute rehab. So it was really cool, the the diverse population that we had, as well as, you know, we had a pretty good spread of not just OTs, but also occupational therapy assistants and students, which was, which was super cool. And so... Yeah. The first question we asked, I'm going to let Abby tell you a little bit about this, but the first question was uh, to those participants was, which of the following do you regular, regularly read or visit as part of your quest to better yourself as an OT or an OT aide? And so I'm going to let Abby talk about what the results to that specific question were. Right. So the results of that were that the majority of people that responded to this survey, um, a lot, about 48.8% said AJOT. Yay, AJOT. <laughs> <laughs> and AJOT's so. actually going all online. It's going paperless, I believe, next year. And so you're going to have to access yeah. it online. You're not going to get those quarterly journals in your mail. Um, oh, and it should be noted that um, they didn't have, they could pick more than one response, mm-hmm. right? So um, that wasn't actually the highest response level, but also the most another interesting thing were Facebook groups. So they regularly visit Facebook groups. Um, 66.3% of respondents said that they regularly also visited Facebook groups. So those could be two, you know, one person could be going to both of those. Right, Jason? Of course. And so I'm just double checking that. Many, <laughs> many do. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, other things that folks are looking at often were professional development websites. Um, and that's Facebook, like, yeah, sorry, that's like MedBridge, um, yeah, and Bridge. occupational therapy mm-hmm. throw this out there since we did just say MedBridge that you can get a discount at MedBridge education, uh, the website, if you use promo code OT schoolhouse. Um, but yeah, that was another big one was MedBridge and, mm-hmm and occupational therapy. And those were both actually thrown out during our live presentation that we did at OTAC. Several people said, yeah, I have um, mm-hmm. a handful of people at least said, yeah, I use those for continuing education. Right. And then um, just using AOTA.org, uh, you know, I know I look up things on there often. Mm-hmm. Um, I like kind of their quick fact lists for different areas, um, other journals. So people are still looking at professional journals. Um, and then just other websites, mm-hmm. uh, half of everybody responded, you know, 122 people said they're just looking at other websites um, to better themselves. So maybe that could be blogs potentially um, or different things of that nature. Uh, Pinterest was another big one with 87 respondents saying that they use that to better themselves. I'm thinking I use that often for treatment ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm looking for something to do with a kid, I might look on there. Um so it was a pretty interesting survey in that respect. Um, what else? I mean, are there well, anything the, else, Jason? You mentioned the the top two, the AOTA slash AJOT, uh, and then Facebook groups and pages. The actual third top oh. one, I guess, was actually Google and Google Scholar. And so you can imagine, you know, people, that's where everyone starts nowadays, just Google. Um, type in mm-hmm. occupational therapy interventions for kids or pediatric OT or s- school-based OT interventions. Um, of course, Google is popular, but also surprisingly, Google sure. Google Scholar was very popular. And of course, that mm-hmm. is like Google's version of a search engine for research. And so that was cool to see that people are actually using Google Scholar um, to find research. Um, yeah. And some people, again, just a few, a handful, threw us for a loop and 
added in their own comment and said, it depends on what I'm looking for. And sure. that kind of is exactly what I was happy to hear that, you know, that means not everyone's going to um, our, even our website to find research articles. They're going to where they should be like Asia or the open journal of OT or um, to some other journal to look for that research, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so that's good to hear. You know, people aren't going to one place because no website, right. no website is like a, a fit all for everything. So, right. Like yeah. you might want to, Google the search term, then you might want to check for an article in Aja, and then you might want to go to Pinterest to find the activity that is going to flow with all of those things. Absolutely. So the next question that we asked was, how frequently do you consume any of the above content as it relates to improving yourself as an OT or a occupational therapy assistant? And do you look for treatment ideas? And so 42% of people that filled out this survey said that they search some sort of the, one of those websites that we just mentioned before five times or at least up to five times a week. 42% of OTs are searching up to five times a week for OT-related content. So that's like every weekday, you know, every day of the week except for weekends, they are looking for OT content online. And then another 18% said they're going further beyond that. They're saying at least once a day, up to 10 times per week, they're going online. Um, so that's pretty, you know, over half of us are basically looking at our computer or at our phone on a daily basis for stuff related to work. Like, I don't know. that, sure. that It seems like a lot to me. Like, honestly, I, I don't think everyone does that. Um, but it's cool to mm -hmm. know that us OTs are using social media and online media to to find, um, to better ourselves and to better the treatments that we can provide for our kids. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then the last question was, how frequently do you seek out research articles to read in order to improve yourself as an OT or an OTA? And we had the responses were once a year, up to five times a year, five to 10 times a year, monthly, a few times a month, or several times a month. And it seems that people, I mean, I mean, the responses were pretty spread out, spread out, but pretty even in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, apart from the once a year, it's nice to see that people are looking up things more than once a year. Right. <laughs> that one was only 9.2% of responses uh, said once a year they seek out research articles. So, Yeah, you know, about 50% of the yeah. participants are looking at journals at least monthly. So again, yeah. that's cool to see that in our profession, people are looking up journals specifically um, just about mm -hmm. monthly or more. And so yeah. online is not just for... Um, articles or blogs that are opinionated. You know, people are going online to look up the research. Mm -hmm. And as a science and art-based profession, that's important because we need to make sure that we are uh, keeping ourselves up to date on the latest research and using evidence-based, you know, interventions. So um, that's that was a very, I really liked the well-roundedness that we received on that question. Yeah. Um, Good job, OTs. <laughs> yeah. Way to look up your research. <laughs> exactly. So um, to sum all this up, you know, at least that little survey that we did, AOTA is still definitely the go-to go resource, whether it be the AJOT or the vast majority of information that AOTA really does have. It is the place where people are most going to. 35% um, 
of of the respondents are looking specifically for research articles at least a few times a month. And that is fantastic. And and AOTA really is that go-to place. Of course, there's also uh, ProQuest. If you're an NBCOT member, then you do have access to ProQuest where you can look up even more articles related to occupational therapists. Um, Facebook pages and especially groups, those are also extremely popular. And we're Mm -hmm. seeing that. I mean, there's several groups so many groups out there specifically related to school-based OTs that have Mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of members of people asking questions. And if you're not part of that group, um, actually in our slideshow, we have a list of a few groups that we would definitely recommend. Um, So be sure to download that. We might get to mentioning those at the very, very end. Um, But the school-based OT Facebook group, you got to be a part of that if you're a school-based OT. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. There's some good discussions going on. Lots of good questions, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And then the last thing you know to really sum up is that 75% of all of all the OTs, OTAs out there are looking up content online every single day as it mm-hmm. relates to OT to better themselves. And that is just fantastic because we need more OTs out there that are willing to, you know, run into a problem, you know, you're in an IEP, you run into a problem, you don't know how to solve something. And instead of, you know, delaying it, you just get online, you go, you go to Asia, you go to a Facebook group and you ask questions and you learn more about what you can yep. do to better help that kid. Yeah. And OTs are really friendly online. <laughs> like we're all ready to jump in and provide strategies and help each other out. So if you're afraid to ask a question to a, a Facebook group, don't be because you'll get 10 to 20 willing participants to give you answers. And two, don't be, be afraid to chime in with your opinion on those groups as well. I've learned a lot just from giving my opinion and then, you know, having a discussion back and forth with other OTs about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's cool. It's also really cool because you get to see um, responses from OTs from all over the country, mm-hmm. if not all over the world. Yeah. And so, uh, and people have debates on there, you know, yes, they're nice about it, but people do have debates, mm-hmm. you know, about yeah. some topics that aren't as well researched as others. And people right. are kind of willing to say, you know what, I, I get what you're saying, but that may not actually be really research based. And maybe mm-hmm. you want to look into it a little bit more. And right. so I like to see those types of interactions going on, on the different pages. It's really cool. Yeah, me too. So we've already mentioned a few of these different types of medias that um, we mm-hmm. talked about. I just want to go over this quick list. You know, these are all the different areas where OTs are utilizing uh, the different resources OTs are utilizing to learn more information. And that is of course, AOTA, MBCOT and ProQuest, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, blogs, podcasts like this one. Yay. Mm-hmm. Yay. <laughs> um, YouTube. That's another one that's up and coming. People are even going, there's even an OT section on Reddit. I mean, you can find people mm-hmm. talking on Reddit. Um, professional development websites. We talked about MedBridge and OccupationalTherapy.com, but there's also smaller blogs that provide provide professional development, kind of like we do through the podcast. Um, there's even some apps. There's one called OT at Home for iPhones, and it's a college mm-hmm. that put together. Um, they actually put together treatment activities. It's like a little Pinterest oh, wow. board, yeah. And then, of course, there is Pinterest. Naturally, Pinterest is everyone loves Pinterest. <laughs> You can't, be, <laughs> you can't be an OT and not like Pinterest. It doesn't matter what That's field true. you work in. <laughs> That's true. 
So what are school-based OT practitioners looking for online? Like we've already kind of touched on research, intervention ideas, assistance with writing IEP goals. We are all, I see that on Facebook groups constantly, right. uh, writing those IEP goals. Um, also looking for professional development, you know, those online occupationaltherapy.com, MedBridge, um, are examples of that, but there's also smaller ones, um, for professional development, um, looking up things for evaluations and other practitioners, um, as well as documentation and billing. There's a lot of, um, things with that going on right now across states, across districts, everybody seems to be doing some of these things differently in school-based OT. So I think online provides a good connection between all of us in the profession across state lines, but also across district lines. Um, cause so much of what we do is different district to district and state to state, which is, I mean, interesting in itself considering yeah. that, you know, just that alone is an interesting topic. We might have to, ah, that could be our next survey. <laughs> Definitely. So, so when we look at research again, Asia, ProQuest, the Open Journal of OT, um, Journal for Educational Research Online, which is kind of cool because it's not an OT journal, but they talk about all educational research. And so you can get a little bit of OT, but you also get a lot of that education side, you know, the side that we may not get through schooling, but the teachers may get a little bit of that. So you get a little, mm. you get to dive into the educational realm for a little bit. Um, and then, of course, there's blogs and podcasts that have, there's citations in there, you know, like we're going to have all of our citations that we looked at in the show notes as well as in our slideshow. And you'll be able to look at the evidence that we used. And then you can even look at the citation from those articles and you can dive even deeper into research. And so uh, if you're yeah. interested in learning a little bit more about research, I would definitely recommend that you check out, if you haven't already, episode 11 of our of our podcast mm -hmm. with um, Dr. Amy Sadek, we did a whole episode on how to be an evidence-based OT in public schools. And so mm -hmm. definitely check that out. Um, that is a good one. Yeah. And so the next area is actually going to be intervention ideas, you know, and yeah, we already mentioned Pinterest several times for intervention <laughs> ideas, but of, right. of course, uh, Instagram, another huge one because you can search mm -hmm. hashtags. And so one of the more popular hashtags that you can search to find ideas is actually hashtag therapy ideas. Um, right. And I think too, you know, when we're talking about interventions where, you know, Pinterest and Instagram are great for just the ideas for the activities we're going to do. But I do love the discussion again with Facebook groups on how to, how we're going to implement those activities. So it's kind of like the frequency, the duration, the, the, um, you know, how often, what are we more than just the doing, but what, what's the progression of those treatments? And sometimes those discussions are happening more on Facebook. Yeah. That's the thing about Facebook. You can get a little deeper into stuff. Um, you mm -hmm. can actually have a real conversation, you know, Instagram isn't really, um, a conversation driven. It's obviously picture driven. And same thing with, with Pinterest. You're not really replying to the people that, that posted an activity on um on a right. pinterest board you know you're really just kind of you're it's clickbait in a way you know you click yeah. on it you get the information you want and then you're on to the next one whereas facebook is definitely more interactive you have conversations with people mm -hmm. so and on another note you know aota also had an article about how um what is a good like essentially 
uh, frequency and duration for pediatric therapies. So it was kind of an interesting, like how, what is an effective way of delivering services? Was that, was that the OT practice that just came out? OT practice. Yep. I think it was an OT practice article. I think it was. Yeah. I've been meaning it's Not, on my, yeah. <laughs> it's on my to read list. It's on my <laughs> to read list and I read it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, That's funny. it was really pretty interesting. I cannot remember everything that was in it offhand right now. I wish I would have written it down. But um, things like that, it's kind of nice because you can, if you can tie it all back together, that's kind of cool. Yeah. All right. Dosage, that's what it was on, dosage. Dosage, yeah. And I, yeah. was it about school-based or was it about more clinic? I think it was more clinic-based. All right. Um, but again, I think dosage and school-based is, an area we could all work on as well. <laughs> yeah. Another topic for another day. <laughs> right. Oh, so many topics. Uh, all right. All right. So then we get into IEP goals. And like Abby said, you know, Facebook is a great place for IEP goals. Uh, but so are blogs. There are different bloggers out there per se that have actually created um, IEP goal banks. And you can find some out there. I can't think of any off the top of my head. But um, it does exist. There, there have been some therapists that put together f- free goal banks and OTs. You're more than welcome to find them and you know edit them to your liking and mm-hmm. uh, and make it work. So definitely. And I guess I should mention, you know, we also do have a podcast about smart eagles. And real quick, I am going to say that is actually episode number three. Way back episode number three. Oh my gosh, it seems so long ago oh. now. I know. Back when we were just babies. <laughs> Baby OT <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but yeah, so otschoolhouse.com forward slash episode three. And that is the link to uh, find out about our, we re- we did an entire podcast about smart eagles. And you know, your, your goals need to be specific, measurable, um, articulate, relevant. And um, what's the last one? T for time, time-based, time-based. And, and educational. Right. And also A is attainable. Attainable. Sorry. Not articulate. <laughs> but I mean, you can be articulate and attainable. <laughs> yes. Should you care to be both? <laughs> yes. All right. Um, and then, of course, there are professional development courses out there that that um, do focus on IEP goals. Mm-hmm. So, all right. I'm going to kind of group these last three together. It's Good pro- idea. Professional development. Yeah. We've talked a lot about professional development already. We have evaluations mm-hmm. and networking sorry networking yeah i know we'll do the last one all by itself because that's a whole nother beast but um, professional development evaluations and networking just about all the social medias that are very um interactive i would say you know blogs are good for getting really deep such as like you know learning a little bit about evaluations um, we did a podcast on evaluations, episode six, I believe it was. Uh, but when it comes to networking, Instagram, LinkedIn, you know, people, especially OTs, we like to be around OTs. I'm sorry, but oh, it's so true. We love to talk OT. I don't, I don't We're know why, but own we <laughs> special kind of weirdo. I think no, and I mean that in like the best way. <laughs> like <laughs> we I've, geek out. I've, yeah, we're just nerdy about it, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Yeah. Makes me really happy to be an OT weirdo. Just <laughs> I mean, you can. I probably shouldn't say that. No, it's. I mean, come on. Like, it it takes a special group of two people to put a podcast together all about school based OT. 
It's true. <laughs> We're pretty weird true. over here. Abby, <laughs> Abby, you and I, man. We enjoy All right. it. We enjoy it and we hope you guys much. out there. Yeah. <laughs> We know we know there's other people out there that enjoy it like we do. Otherwise, uh, you guys wouldn't be listening to this podcast. <laughs> we wouldn't be making any more of them. <laughs> we might still make them. <laughs> it would just be for an audience of two. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just about anywhere you can really go for those three things. However, the last one that we really wanted to touch on was documentation and billing. And these are, in my opinion, touchy areas. Um Yes, there are conversations occurring about documentation and billing on Facebook, a little bit on Reddit. Um, we haven't mentioned this one, AOTA's Communoty. Um, it used to be called OT Connections, I think, and now it's Communoty. Right. There's a little bit going on there, especially in the private practice realm, because you know the DSM has changed, all the Medi-Cal billing has changed, or Medicare billing has changed. Um, mm -hmm. The codes are changing in the last few years. But when it comes to school-based, you really need to be looking to AOTA's guidelines as well as your state right. guidelines. And um, AOTA does have guidelines for early intervention and school-based therapists. And then, I mean, we live in California, and California has a good set of guidelines for OT and PT in California public schools. And but most states actually have some sort of guidelines for OTs and usually it's paired with PTs as well. Um, you mm -hmm. can find, we have a, actually a resource on our website at otschoolhouse.com. Um, I believe it's forward slash guidelines and you can click on your state and you'll be able to see the guidelines for your state if they have them. So that's a good resource right. in order to find out your guidelines. Mm -hmm. So go check that out. Yes. Yeah. And it's free. It's, it's really easy to use. It is, uh, is there for you. So the next topic, I guess we want to cover about being online and using online media is being self-aware of online media and what you're doing online, because what goes online stays online. <laughs> Absolutely. I found this out when I searched my name in Google, we did a little experiment when we were coming up with this part. Yeah. Indeed. And you know what? <laughs> I, I think if you're, if you haven't done it recently, and I do mean recently, like in the last I don't know, six months or so, yeah, hit pause right now and just mm -hmm. Google your name. Uh, maybe add the letters OT after it uh, mm -hmm. so you don't get another person with the same name as you, but just see what comes right. up. Um, yeah. Or maybe put the city you live in or something along with your name. Um, or Google our names if you're afraid of what you're going to find out about your name. <laughs> Google <laughs> Abby Piranha, Jason Davies. <laughs> You'll see I have incredible fashion sense. Um, incredible. Particularly in my alpaca fur hat that apparently there's a photo of me wearing and I had forgotten about it. Also, I have a Twitter account that I forgot that I had. <laughs> there's no... Um, yeah. Well, and it led me to dive even further into like my old Facebook pictures from college. And I realized I have some cleaning up to do in that department <laughs> as well. So I think if you just know that if you posted it and it was your freshman year of college, it's still up somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> so yes. Be aware yeah. of what you're posting. Yeah. The other things that we also want you to be aware of is um, how social media has affected people not maybe not you but it has affected people um and some ways that that i've 
I've heard people express it, you know, is that they they have FOMO because or fear of missing out. F-O-M-O, FOMO. And that's because, you know what, maybe they see, and this goes along with, you know, feelings of inadequacy. Maybe they see Abby's post of her doing this awesome activity with her kids where she cut out these haunted houses and drew pictures, you know? Um, that was a recent thing that she put up on, awesome on Instagram. It was awesome. <laughs> But I mean, can you imagine if you saw that and you just like felt so, so defeated? You're like, man, I wish I could do that. That's just too much. I don't have the right groups to do that with, whatever. So it can kind of lead to a little bit of in a feeling of inadequacy, not the actual inadequacy itself, but just a feeling. And, you know, right. that can lead to, to other things, you know, anxiety um, and depression potentially. And so be aware that, you know, people when they're posting stuff online, it's typically like the best of the best thing that they've ever done. Like, right. you know, not everyone is creating the best thing ever every day. And people aren't traveling all the time. I mean, they post a picture of Hawaii. doesn't mean they're in Hawaii 24 seven. It's just that one really good photo that they took there. Um, right. Except for the time I lived there. No. <laughs> <And> I was. <laughs> Don't remind us. <laughs> just kidding. But I was working a lot of the time too. Yeah. Um, no. So, so, yeah, I would agree. And on the opposite end of that, it can also give people superficial confidence. Um, you know, mm -hmm. the people that are posting, you know, they, they like to post their activities every day and it makes them feel good because they're getting some likes. Um, I mean, I feel good when I get likes when all you out there, you know, like our Instagram post or our Facebook post. Yeah, it feels good. But I also realize, you know. Just because I've I've got a few likes doesn't mean that that's the best thing ever. You know, I can go out there and I can do better. I can do more research, and I can continue to get better. And you know, my my ability to become a better OT is never completed. Right. Uh, yeah. And yeah, you know, the last thing that we put on self awareness is that you know this this being online and social media, it's a whole new occupation. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to call it an occupation, I'm I'm sorry, but I disagree with that. It is an occupation. Not only is it a daily occupation, it's like an hourly occupation for most people 18 to 35. And yeah. so this is definitely something that us OTs can and should address and also maintain self-awareness of. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And that goes into being mindful, you know, not everything that's online is valuable and not everything belongs online. I mean, we already talked about things that don't belong online. I have quite a few examples of that, but also <laughs> I think that when you're looking at things online, you need to use a critical eye. You need to use your clinical reasoning skills and you need to recognize, um, you know, that not everything online is valuable and you have to vet what you're seeing. Um, again, goes to Jason's point about you know, not everybody's on vacation 24 seven and that whole fear of missing out, but also just that, you know, there's a lot of information that's sold as information that's critical, but it's actually a marketing tactic. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've seen things like, um, you know, an article written by an OT to promote a certain sensory item, but that item may not be completely well-researched. And while the article is written by an occupational therapist, you may want to actually go do your own AJOT search or your own ProQuest search before you turn around and buy it for one of your students. And, you know, I think too, that goes into us as OTs, we need to be responsible and know that we're a research and evidence-based profession. And so if we are putting 
articles out there or information out there. We need to do the research to back up what we're saying and take responsibility, you know, to make sure that our profession stays um, credited. Yeah. Credible. Uh, yeah, credible. 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 Well, credible. Credited. Credible. <laughs> I was looking for the word credible. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we're not too articulate here at the OT Schoolhouse, but we try our best. And, yeah. No, <laughs> hey, we Sorry. put ourselves out there for it all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one thing that stood out about being mindful that I actually looked this up on the WFOT principles for guideline or social media guidelines. And the number one guideline that they had was, you know, recognize that the personal and professional roles cannot always be separated. And this is so true for, for social media. I mean, I'm going to use myself as an example. Um, I kind of have like three different roles. I mean, I'm a school-based OT I am a husband to my wife, obviously, and have my friends and my family. And then I am also this figure, this quote unquote public figure, if you want to call it that, between this podcast and the blog. And they all kind of merge together. And I love that they merge together. But at the same time, you have to be careful. I mean, you can't, you can't let something that you do in your personal life ruin those other aspects. And in OT, anywhere in the medical field and the educational field, that's huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, those background yeah. searches, man, like you're not going to get a job without your employer Googling you, I don't think these days, you know? And so well, you, you got to. And to that point too, I have a friend, like I had some friend requests from parents oh. um, who were also teachers in the district as well that I interacted with. So it was kind of like, Ooh, parents of the student and a teacher that worked in the district. And also, you know, a friend of mine on social media, you have to be very conscious that you can't separate. I mean, and you and I really can't separate the professional from the personal because no. our faces are a part of the podcast. They're a part of OT Schoolhouse. And there's a level of trust that's built with that when you are willing to put your face to your, you know, your brand or your background or your profession. But with that goes a certain level of vulnerability and, uh, responsibility to Mm -hmm. make sure you're kind of putting your best face forward on social media as often as you can. Um, and so I have my privacy settings set to where I can vet things before they get posted. That is very smart. And Mm -hmm. I I would, I suggest everybody that. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, you know, to close this out real quick, to close out what we're talking about, you know, you got to keep in mind, you know, what is on your social media page, whether it's words, pictures, video, or even audio, um, what are you putting as your likes and your dislikes on on your Facebook page? You know, is it is it stuff that maybe you liked back in high school, but it's now something that could be demeaning to someone? You know, you're back in your quote unquote stupid days, and or your whatever days back in then, and Very and true. you know, it needs to be updated. Um, is your social media profile accessible? And that's what Abby was just talking about. You know, are you closing down your your profile to no one can find you? Or are you using it as a, a tool to help you grow professionally and keeping it open? And depending mm-hmm. on what you're doing, whether it's open or closed, you know, are you posting appropriately? And like Abby was saying, you know, what comes up when you Google when you Google your name? Um, that's a huge thing. And, you know, you can't control that completely, 
but there are things that you can take down if you find them. Um, and the other thing that you can do is also dictate what comes up by creating your own professional website or your own personal website. Um, buying jasondavies.com or abbyperana.com and um, it doesn't cost a whole lot to have a, a prof- or like a personal website like that. And then right. you can kind of dictate what is found when, you're, when your future employer Googles your name. And you can have on there basically like a resume plus a little bit more, Um, you know, maybe a little bit about your family as well as your resume or something like that. Whatever Mm -hmm. you want on there, you can have on there. So, too, I think there's um, what was it? Seth Godin talks a lot about your that's one of the best parts about online right now is that people can individualize themselves and put their own personal um, website out there as their own personal brand. Like something like that. Yeah. Anyway. You, you have um, to be a, I mean, everyone kind of has to have, take control of their online presence. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And that's something we can help our clients do as well. And it's important to keep that in mind because we do work with vulnerable populations. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about it, you know, working in schools, we are inherently working with children who have disabilities and we are inherently working with them and their families. So we're privy to information and we know things about them um, that other people do not. And so when we are, you know, online or we're using um, pictures of treatment ideas to help promote not just our profession, but also communicate with other OTs and we're saying, oh, this worked really well. We need to be very aware that we're not using those vulnerable populations um, in a way that's not going to serve them. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, don't post pictures of your kids online that you're working with. I mean, that's my personal opinion about it. Um, But also noticing too, like if you're using a child that is vulnerable to your advantage in your own personal social media, that's also something that you have to ethically kind of question yourself on. Um, Mm. You know, it's okay to think of the activity or say like, oh, this worked really well for a student who had X, Y, or Z. But if you are specifically utilizing pictures of a specific student to kind of promote your brand or something like that, I wouldn't recommend doing that. We have a list here on the slideshow that uh, kind of just points to some of the websites, the Facebook groups, the podcasts, and the different Instagram hashtags that you can use. Um, We've mentioned several of them, like the OT for Life podcast. Uh, We haven't mentioned the Milestones podcast, the Sensory Project show, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, pocketot.com, the anonymousot.com, as well as our blog. Um, Mm -hmm. And then several Facebook groups. I'm not, I guess I might as well. This is a podcast. Why not? Um, School based occupational and physical therapist. Uh, Facebook group. So if you want to find that, just click on the search bar, the search bar within the Facebook app or page and just type that in there as well as um, the California or even USA school-based occupational therapists looking for change. That's a group of OTs mm-hmm. that's kind of growing. Um, so yeah, definitely keep these all in mind. I mean, yeah, this is the internet is here to stay. Obviously social media I mean, I don't know if it's always going to be the way that it is right now, but I don't see it going anywhere. It might adapt. It might get better, but it's definitely still going to be around. Um, And yeah, OTs. I mean, we need to figure out how to use online and social media to our benefit, not only for us, but also for the, the populations that we work with, because 
like we said way at the beginning of this of this uh, podcast, you know, everyone's using the internet and it absolutely is an occupation, whether it's leisure, mm-hmm. whether it's play, whether it's social interaction, it is definitely a meaningful activity. Oh, definitely, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, you have anything left, Abby? I think that about wraps it up for today. No, I mean, I think we've covered everything that you and I know about. (laughs) (laughs) If not, we'll have a part two. (laughs) If not, we'll have a part two. And I'm sure in like a year, there'll be 30 more things to discuss as far as this topic goes, because it's such a new area. It's just going to be constantly evolving and changing. And as OT, we got to keep our finger on the pulse of that. Yes, definitely. So thank you everyone for listening. This I know wasn't the most like OT podcast. <laughs> like it's not something all about treatments and it's not all about the the fun stuff, but it absolutely is, in our opinion, a necessary uh, piece of information that OTs should be aware about. And so that's why we wanted to bring it here for you all. And so we hope you enjoyed it. We hope you learned a little bit and um, you can actually earn some professional development for this uh, podcast that we did. And you will be able to find that at otschoolhouse.com forward slash PD as in professional development or on the show notes at otschoolhouse.com forward slash episode 17. So we hope to see you over there. And uh, otherwise, we will see you on the next podcast. Thanks for stopping by. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. For more ways to help you and your students succeed right now, head on over to otschoolhouse.com. Until next time, class is dismissed.